Hello and welcome to Gifts of the Weird. I'm John, your host, and with me today is the amazing, wonderful, and superior Madam Ansa, aka Lauren Ansa Leary. She is the artist and co-author of the World Spirit Tarot, a groundbreaking breaking traditional deck noted for a focus on inclusivity and empowerment. Madam Ansa has read and taught tarot across the U.S. in a variety of settings. A career artist, writer, and entertainer, she has produced hundreds of shows, festivals, and community events across the southeastern U.S. She has released on Kickstarter her new deck, the Yuletide Monsters Oracle deck, which is closing on October 22nd, 2023. I'm really excited about this deck and having Madam Ansa with us. So, Madam Ansa, welcome to Gifts of the Weird. Why, hello. Hello. This is great to finally get you on. Uh, you've had a lot of shows lately, which has been, sounds cool. I wish I was nearby because I want to see what you do. Looking at your pictures, I'm like, wow, that looks like fun. Well, thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey into Tarot, please, um, Oracle Cards, and the Yuletide World of Monsters, because you've been dealing with them for longer than this Oracle deck, it looks like. Yes, yes, Yuletide Monsters are a bit of a passion of mine. Uh, okay, so Tarot, uh, I had the opportunity uh, as a young person, uh, I came to a moment of initiation, and uh, I was given the the option to uh, develop skills, uh, you know, an aptitude, cultivate an aptitude with any sort of form of divination and self-reflection. And I looked around at, you know, the things available to me at the, at the time, runes and so forth. And uh, as a very visual person, I'm a, a multimedia artist. So I thought art, art is probably my way into this way of understanding. So I started to do a dive into tarot. I got the books. I got all the little, the little white books, you know, the little, the little booklets, mm -hmm. uh, sat down and tried to learn. And I thought, this is, this is far harder than I thought. I think that I need, I need more than little white booklets. And so uh, I was lucky enough to do a double pronged approach. I got a fantastic teacher whose name is Kate Nordstrom, still a wonderful painter uh, living in Maine, who is extremely patient with me. And uh, I also decided as an artist, my best way to understand what I was seeing was to do a sort of uh, large scale analysis and study. And so with my friend, Jessica Zucca Godino, uh, who I worked with just in my mundane job, we got all of our decks and all of our books and we started a multi-year project of doing a essentially a comparative analysis of the art, meaning, writing and traditions of as many decks as we could get our hands on. And through that process, I actually made my own deck a sort of a, a distillation of the collective wisdom of all the other artists and writers that we could find. Uh, and so I became deeply schooled in the writings of the people that were available at the time. And uh, the deck was only ever meant for myself as part of my initiation process, uh, but they were block prints. And of course, that's 80 block prints. And so they are eight by 10 inches. So it took me seven years to physically make them all. And by the time I was done, folks were asking me when I was going to get it published and how. And I thought, published? <laughs> this is just wow. for me. But uh, at that point, uh, I spoke with Llewellyn and they were on board with it. But they said, but you, you need a book. I was like, oh, gosh, it took me seven years to get this far. <laughs> so uh, Jessica, my my study partner was good enough to uh, collate all of our notes of our many years of comparison and uh, and work and uh, was able to, you know, we, we worked together and Jess was able to sort of mastermind the accompanying text. And that is the product that Llewellyn published as the World Spirit Tarot. Wow. That's well, the, the short answer. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. And, and what a journey that was. I think. It was it was a tremendous amount of work. And uh, I'm very lucky that, you know, I, I was uh, I was living off the grid. I was living in a yurt. 
You know, I was very lucky that at that time and place in my life when so many other things were sort of exploratory and unformatted, you know, because I was a younger person, I was in my 20s, and uh, I was able to somehow bring such a very focused and structured component to the process of learning something that is otherwise so intuitive. I think the end result of having been able to bring some, some discipline and some history to it in the course of developing an intuitive side, I found myself with a uh, a body of esoteric work that I still feel good about years and years later, I can say, honestly, it has aged quite well. I hope that I am aging as well as my deck. <laughs> it's a beautiful deck. I, I looked up pictures of it on your site and I was like, wow, because I had never heard of it before. And so I went and checked it out and I was like, wow, this is really impressive. Beautiful stuff. Thank you. So um, well, let's move on to uh, your current project, uh, the Yuletide Monsters Oracle deck. And um, the Yuletide Monsters world. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, my friend introduced me to this. She's like, hey, John, did you see this on Kickstarter? And I just saw the video and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm back in this because this is okay. really cool. <laughs> so, that's great. I'm, I'm so grateful, too, because, of course, one of the challenges, like, I'm confident in the art uh, and I'm, uh, I'm confident, you know, on stage as a performer uh, and as a producer. But I have to say, being in front of a camera is uh, perhaps my, uh, my Achilles heel. And so I was far more intimidated about making the Kickstarter video than about actually doing the nine months of work for the project. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. All of a sudden you turned into Cindy Brady at the Spelling Bee, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you wouldn't think it's like I've been in front of, you know, some good sized audiences, but an audience of none somehow is the most intimidating for me. So, yeah, and then <laughs> when you think, you know, millions of people are going to see this video, <laughs> <laughs> right? right? Yeah, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> well, I love the introduction. Do you like the wild beast man Krampus? Do you like the giant yule cat of Iceland? The deep wintry midwinter invites you to settle down by the fire with a seasonal beverage and this darkly folky oracle deck. So, why this deck? Great question. So, uh, I'm going to scope out for a second to the larger Yuletide Monsters journey, because I yes. think that really brings me here. Uh, even as a young kid, I was always, uh, I was always disenchanted with Santa Claus. Um, I was, as a, you know, and as I got older, I just thought the whole thing was sort of creepy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, he judges you all the time. Uh, he watches you all the time. Uh, you know, and eventually I started making jokes as I got older about, you know, uh, Santa and the devil are the same. They both wear red, live in extreme climates and judge you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just, I did, couldn't really get into Christmas because I, you know, I just, I found the whole thing a bit saccharine, let's say. And so, uh, you know, and as I, once I found uh, not just Krampus, but Krampus opens the window to a whole world of Yuletide traditions outside of my experience as a person growing up in America. Uh, and it really brought me to a different place with this sort of joys and deeps of winter. And uh, so, you know, Krampus was my window in. I like to say that, uh, you know, it was bringing some of that pan energy, you know, as a, as a neo-pagan person, as a witchy person, that pan energy uh, really helped me to find my way to something that had some meaning in midwinter. And once you get comfortable with Krampus, then you realize there's, you know, he's just he's just the the best known ambassador for us over here but of course there are so many traditions that span you know largely when we're talking about yuletide we're talking about europe and the places that have been impacted by europe mm -hmm. but uh, you know if you scope that out even further to address just deep midwinter anywhere uh, that has winter 
and the sort of psychological and spiritual conditions of the people living in those times and places and enduring those times and places and why we would find it necessary to, uh, to create, imagine, or discover these cryptids, as it were, these mythic entities. Uh, that for me has opened up a whole world of joy and appreciating Christmas all over again. Yeah. And so from there, Krampus walks and Krampus art and so forth. And then uh, a few years back, as part of my Krampus adventure, uh, I made the Yuletide Monsters Advent calendar. I wanted the opportunity to bring Yuletide monsters, but we opened it up, you know, some, if you open up the calendar, it's 25 days, one through 25 for December, it's evergreen, you know, you can use it any year, but you know, it, there's, there's Perkta, there's Krampus, there's the Yule cat, there's the sort of usual suspects. But in that case, I was also able to invite like the Chupacabra and other cryptids that I thought people would enjoy seeing in a Yuletide context, like the Mothman flying overhead with a string of Christmas lights blowing, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, the having a sense of whimsy mm -hmm. about it, uh, that again, that led me deeper into the world of learning more about the folklore. And so this year, I was like, "What can I? What what more is there for me to do? How can I bring more of the joy of the Yuletide cryptids to people? How about an oracle deck that combines my two worlds of you know tarot and the intuitive, all of that? And then we've got all this sort of tongue in cheek and folklore. Let's see what we can do. Sounds like fun. So how did you go about selecting? the um the different characters that you were going to bring this and you've arranged the deck into suits so i'm not quite sure how that means it does a suit like follow one like krampus in different aspects or is it different characters coming into the suits or do they have overall overarching meanings Sure, I can explain. So uh, in this case, of course, you know, coming from so much, you know, when I say a traditional deck too, of course, there's lots of different, tarot itself has evolved in many different shapes and ways to meet the needs of people over hundreds and hundreds of years. But because my deck is rooted in a, in a pretty, you know, turn of the century standard, I brought a sort of formatted sensibility to the notion of an Oracle deck. It's like, I want something that a person who, is interested in taking advantage of this whimsical time of introspection, you know, this sort of time out of time that is midwinter, but I would like to make it as accessible as possible. So that means less cards. Tarot is 78 cards. That is, it takes a long time to, to come to grips with all of those personalities and archetypes. So we're already talking about less cards. I want to bring people something that has a little bit of structure. So this, this Oracle deck does have suits and in parallel, uh, or in tandem to tarot, you know, there's there's a suit that refers to decisions, and there's a suit that refers, you know, to feelings. Uh, all of your uh, all of your midwinter ennui <laughs> <laughs> falls very neatly into the in there. Uh, so we we've got the sort of four suits that speak to our daily concerns, and then I wanted to have a way to invite in some of the other these other cryptids, these other sort of Yuletide and midwinter archetypes. So we find ourselves with a suit that is, as you said, essentially various aspects or expressions of Krampus. And that is the switches, uh, you know, which is, uh, let's say, motivational. You will be motivated by these switches. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> the the Mari Lewitt, you know, the, the Welsh rap horse, as the kids like to call it, uh, of course, is the wassail cups. And that is your feelings. Uh, and also, you know, hospitality and how we connect with our community, uh, you know, in in this time when our survival as as a species uh, has so much depended in the deep, dark midwinter on how we relate 
to our deepest, darkest feelings and also to the people uh, in our lives and communities. So there's your Mari Lewitt is the cups. We've got uh, Perkta, you know, the Alpine witch with her sort of witch goddess with her roots way back in possibly in bird goddess tradition. Uh, we see her with scissors because if you know the Perkta, she is famous for uh, judging harshly those that don't hold up their end of the deal by uh, cutting you open and gathering up your all your trash and stuffing it inside your abdomen. She's literally, she's the, the person who really says, here are the consequences of your decisions. <laughs> so we, we find the Perkta with her scissors. Uh, and then uh, what is our last one? That brings us to cat, the Yule Cats. We've got the giant Yule Cat from Iceland uh, who appears uh, with the suit of gifts, which is how we choose to spend our energy, how we choose to utilize our resources. And of course, cats are great at conserving their resources for anything they don't think necessary. Yes, they are. <laughs> So there's four. And then the outliers, that is our sort of fifth family. And that is some of those other guest stars that I really felt deserved some time. And, and, and you know, folks enjoying the cards would want to know about these other archetypes and the wisdom they bring. That's La Bafana from Sicily. You know, she's the she is the uh, the house proud witch who has been following. She missed her chance to give Jesus a present uh, during the nativity. So she's been giving gifts to any child she finds for the last 2000 years, because there's little divinity in everyone, Sweet. for example. Right. So the, uh, the outliers are an assortment of other sort of Yuletide cryptids that I felt like deserved. They deserved some time and some, some space in people's consciousness and experience, but we could only fit so many in and have this deck remain accessible and manageable. Yeah. I, I like that you did bring those in because they do have certain places, for instance, and I'm, 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 just going to preface this by saying I'm extremely biased at this one card because it's St. Nicholas, uh, who is of Dutch heritage. We've uh, worked with him, me growing up with him as Sinterklaas. Yeah. So when, when you revealed that card, I was like, oh, that's exciting. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Right? So um, it was cool to see some of these uh, extra things come out. And, and uh, now and I'm even more curious as to how to bring it all in and work it together and and have some fun with it. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Uh, it's almost, it is like a Christmas present really, because as, aside from what you've just shared, I'm like, okay, how, how does the, the, the suit of scissors work? I mean, what's really going on here? Uh, what does it mean? And then when you, when, as, uh, or the switches, and then the way you said that, I was like, oh, that makes sense. That's cool. So. Thank, thank you. Good. I, I like to think that there's some logic. I hope that anyone enjoying the deck finds the logic in there as well. Yeah, I think we will. <laughs> and I think it's going to be a really fun way to uh, uh, to use them as part of uh, just divination in general, but especially around this time of year. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Thank you. It is my hope, you know, of course, there's that notion in the back of your brain as a creator, you're thinking, you know, am I trying to make something people will use two weeks a year? Or is this something that a person could find of use throughout the year? I tried to keep it something that could be accessible, but I, but I won't, you know, throughout the year, but I, I won't deny, I mean, the imagery, uh, not just because the archetypes themselves, but so much of sort of how they evolved in our psyche is as a result of coping with times of, you know, of darkness, of privation, of, of need, of, you know, uh, of, we have a lot of time, we find ourselves with more time for self-reflection, you know, in these times of dark and stillness. And so I wanted to make sure that simultaneously you have something that you can, you could actually sit down and have, a, you could have a serious sit down with yourself with a hot toddy with this, because, you know, of course, many of these stories are very mm -hmm. dark, you know, the Yule Cat 
you know, he doesn't just judge you, he eats you. So, uh, you know, the, a lot of these tales uh, have a real noir quality, but I also wanted to make sure that it was whimsical and fun. It's not intended to be, you know, like a brutally gothic existential, uh, it's not, it's not a, a weapon, you know, against yourself in a time of vulnerability in the dark. It's intended to be like, you can only, like the stories are deep, but I've tried to make the art fun as well if that makes it sense totally does and yeah um even saint nicholas has a darkness at least may, not so much i don't think nowadays because I'm, I'm not quite I'm sure it's morphed a lot they want to be friendlier and gentler and kinder but when i was sure. a kid sinterklaas was kind and gentle but if you were bad you got beat with yeah. a switch put into a sack and taken to spain to work in the coal mines for a year that was the story they told us yes yes <laughs> I actually wrote a I wrote a Krampus Carol uh, in my I, I actually the first thing I ever did Krampus sort of product wise is I made a create or create your own adventure Krampus coloring book. It's basically a way to sort of wander through some pictures and learn about different presentations of the Krampus story. Uh, and I really came to appreciate that uh, you know he is the bad cop so that modern Santa Claus could be yeah. the good cop. But it sounds like your Sinterklaas had to yeah, do both jobs. Both job. you know? Yeah, <laughs> he brought gifts. But if you were bad, boy, you were in big trouble. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I totally understand the concept of how do I make this live beyond the designated season? Because when I created the Christmas Oracle, my own deck, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Um, how do I use How do I make this so that uh, my concern was, are people going to use this outside of the season? Sure. Uh, can they use it throughout the year? And my my thinking was well yes you can whenever you want to bring in that energy or you want that kind of a talk pull it out and use it whenever you want it's with just because it might be themed doesn't mean it has to be in that era absolutely and you know yeah. i would say also if somebody says you know what i'm just going to put this away with my solstice decorations and it only comes out but this one month year you know that that has a ritual component to it too that can have value if you say you know now is the time when we pull out these decorations now is the time we pull out these tools for the craft now is the time when we engage with this my house is pretty much wall-to-wall -wall krampus all year because i have so much yuletide monster stuff there's not enough storage so my walls are covered in krampus and perkta and uh, and Santa Lucia and everything, but it's not because I need to live in Christmas 20, 24 hours a day. It's literally a function of storage. So there, there. I understand how somebody could find themselves in either mindset, saying, "I just want this for the, you know, for the for the dark of winter," or I'm put, putting this on the shelf with all my other Oracle decks, and you know, maybe the nature of the question you're doing is, you know. Uh, it's July, but I'm asking questions about New Year's. Maybe that is the time to pull out the deck because it more accurately addresses the sort of, you know, deep subconscious in that time of year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, interesting that you you mentioned that because um, one of the things that I was wondering was, is in what way do you think the deck will work um, for someone's divination the best, such as what kind of topics, energies, or themes might you think this would be really well to bring out and say, I've got some advice for you. Sure. That's a fantastic question. Well, I want to say that as I was making this, you know, cause it's, it's research, it's drawing, it's crafting, and then they're, they're scratch boards. So it's, it's essentially like a, like block printing light kind of like you're still using a, it's a, a removal tool. So I'm spending hours and hours and hours immersed again, again, hilariously for me, it was, you know, July and there I am carving snow banks. Uh, 
<laughs> so having sent myself ahead in time to remember what it's like for it to be, you know, uh, December and January. And I was really trying to uh, think about what drives a person to their divination tools in that time of year? Uh, you know, is it because you're a person who has to be all things to everybody and is working nonstop because the holiday isn't a break for you? It's just more work. Is it, you know, that you have to suddenly make Christmas magical for everybody and do all the cooking and do all the cleaning and do all the decorating and feel like you're obligated to get on the consumer cycle of presents? Like maybe this is a tool for the person who is extremely overwhelmed and they're not experiencing the holidays as a break, but rather a sort of a seasonal burden, you know, mm -hmm. on the one hand, or the folks for whom they find themselves in the holiday. And it, we, there's so much cultural pressure for the holidays, be they, you know, whatever winter holidays you might celebrate. This deck is certainly not intended to be, you know, Christian cycle centered at all. Whatever you do in the winter, you know, maybe you're a person who uh, finds yourself feeling very alone or lonely during that time. And there's a lot of existential mm -hmm. angst that can come up in the between seasonal effective struggles, you know, there's no more sun. And if you find yourself culturally, you know, unsupported as a person, I just kept trying to think of all the reasons why in the deep of midwinter, a person might be coming to it. And I guess because I've taught so much tarot and I've done so, so many readings for people who have come to me and said, I've never talked to a tarot reader before. I was always kind of scared about this, but you make it seem less scary. Is this a tool that can help me? You know, I, I've so often found myself being the person sort of bringing people in to the divinatory arts. And I thought maybe this was a way to uh, reach out not only to provide a service for folks who already know their oracles, but also to make something for the people who really are coming to it because maybe it's a whimsical thing they got in their stocking, but maybe they're coming to it because they really need it because winter can be hard. Mm -hmm. And I, I really wanted to try to make a, an accessible point. Again, you know, because tarot can be intimidating. It's a zillion years old and there's 78 cards. It's a lot of information. And I wanted to make something that somebody could sit down and be like, I'm just having the worst afternoon. Christmas is all pressure. What am I even doing this for? Oh, these kitty cats have some advice for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I guess I just kept thinking about how in, in the depths of winter, what does a person need? You know, what does a person need to, to nav if nothing else, to navigate those few weeks, those, you know, hardest months? Let's start with that. And then if it's something that you find that you can expand out and look at your whole life and say, you know, well, what are my obligations? What are my burdens? What are my, what does fulfill me in terms of engaging with community versus needing time to myself as an introvert, et cetera. I'm hoping that these cards can help. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I love that. I love that. So let me ask you this, yes. uh, Mary Monsa, yeah. uh, is there a favorite story that you have uh, or two out of the Yuletide monsters that uh, that you have in the deck? I mean, what's some of your favorite uh, stories that, that kind of came through, especially with all the research that you had to do to get into the background of them to sure. lay them out in these things? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't want I don't want to play favorites because of course I like all Yuletide monsters, but yeah, I, I Saint Nicholas has become a favorite of mine. It's interesting that you say that because for me coming into it, as I said, I was you know from from long ago, I was like Ugh, Santa Claus, corporate mm -hmm. Uh As I came to know the traditional Saint Nicholas was a badass. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, he became a saint because one of, you know, to become a saint in the church, uh, you had to uh, manage some miracles. You know, the miracle that is depicted in the card, of course, is that he found a 
a barrel full of children that had been murdered and pickled to be sold as meat. And uh, he brought them back from the dead. So there's a guy giving kids presents. Let that, you know, I was like, St. Nicholas was a necromancer. That's way cooler than be a guy who, you know, <laughs> who exploits elves. You know, and uh, and he famously had broken his nose uh, in a fight with Roman soldiers because he stood up for his beliefs. He was a you know a fearless pugilist. I thought like none of these things fit with this sort of uh, you know jolly judgy elf that I had grown up thinking was at the at the root of it all. So yeah. I have become a great fan of his, and I'm happy to say actually that I was in Sicily uh, a few years ago, sweltering day in Sicily. I was in. Uh, Castellamare del Golfo, I think, which is a beautiful town on the in the West that is most famous for being a hotbed of mafia, interestingly. So it's a sweltering day. I'm trying to get out of the sun. I step into this little church uh, in the square and, you know, you're wandering around looking at all the art. There's an abundance of art and it's not like it's an art museum. So nothing is marked. You're just wandering around looking at everything. And there is this saint standing there. And I realized it's St. Nicholas. He's standing there with a, with a bucket with babies rising out of the bucket and i was like it's saint nicholas i love this guy and then i looked down and there was an actual relic of saint nicholas in there with him (laughs) like a piece of the saint and i was like i never in my life imagined that i would come so far to see this guy on an island in sicily on a hot day (laughs) right yeah yeah it's just it was you know i i had this sense of like i I was actually like you know and of course, who knows whether this relic was really a piece of the true Saint Nick. I don't know. I mean, that's a whole whole other conversation about the, the challenges of relics. But in that moment, I was I was actually like starstruck. I'm like, I love Saint Nick. There was, you know, it was just me. There was no one there to nerd out about it with. <laughs> I'm sure if you grow up in that town, you're like, yeah, it's just some statue of some old guy, whatever. Welcome, welcome to Cecily. I was so excited. So St. Nick is on my list. Uh, It was fascinating to me also to find out that, you know, I know the Perkton from, if you have a a Krampus walk or something like that in your, in your, in a city near you, then perhaps you've seen, you see all the Krampuses and then you're like, well, who are all the like witchy Baba Yaga looking people? Is that Lady Krampus? Sometimes it is Lady Krampus. Like I actually know a a Lady Krampus, but they're usually Perkton and they are another Alpine goddess figure uh, who some records suggest that she goes all the way back to being an ancient bird goddess. And uh, of course, you know, as Christianity made its incursion up into the Alps, they had to sort of un-goddess her and just folklore her because you couldn't have her as a goddess, but she remained and retained her shape-shifting abilities. And so you'll notice when, when you see my deck, she always is depicted in whatever age, whether she's there as a child or a maiden or a sort of bird-like creature, she always has a, a goose foot in all of the images in order to convey this notion that no matter how she chooses to appear to you, she has this fundamental uh, bird energy. And for folks who are used to the tarot, of course, that's interesting because uh, birds and the suit of blades would be the suit of swords would be the suit of air. So it's something to bring her uh, full full loop around that. So I, I love the, I love the Perkta and getting to see her appear in all of her guises was very exciting for me. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, you know, Perkta, you don't want to mess around with, for sure. (laughs) No, she will hold you accountable. And I have to say, there's so much more research that I did and so much that I carry in me now as my understanding of these that doesn't make it into the little booklet. Because you know, as a person who's made a deck, 
the costs associated with actually writing a book double the costs of the project. And mm -hmm. so in this case, I was like, I don't know if anybody's even going to want this thing. I know I want to make it. I don't know if people want it. So, you know, we committed to the, you know, the eightfold accordion booklet. You know, it's kind of the, the classic starter booklet. Uh, but there's so much more information than could possibly fit in there. So I was just saying today that if if this project ever goes into a second printing or a deluxe printing, that I would be delighted to write a book and share more more of this folklore, you know, and more and even the resources that I, you know, was able to access so people can do more research and fall in love with these cryptids the way that I have. But for this one, I had to do it. You know, there's extreme shorthand. It's like, here's Muddy Lewid. This is her thing. She's from Wales. Here's the cards. It's enough to direct somebody who cares to go learn more about the folklore if they want, or they can just use the deck on sort of face value. Yeah, no, that's, uh, no, I, I do understand. I was thinking, wow, when I did my deck, oh gosh, how far do I have to expand? How much, you know, should I put in there? And I was like, you know, my deck was basically built on the kind of the, the traditions we're doing so it's not christian or based or anything sure. like that necessarily either it was just like what are the traditions and things that we're doing here in the us that i grew up with that are kind of like common and i and i just like i'm just gonna kind of give the basic and let the people fill in with what works for them yeah so uh, like with this you know yeah we can go and do some more research um uh, google is our friend right right <laughs> there's a lot there but if you do do an ex a second printing or another printing and expand the book that would be really fantastic uh, so there's so much um, to tell you know and i, and I i'm yeah. happy as an artist you know to assimilate information and then you know synthesize it and share it but it's like i'm happy for people to get the information you know from from the source too like it doesn't need to come through me i'm just out there absorbing as much as i can and passing it through the baleen of my psyche you know trying to trying to make something i could share so I want people to be able to hear it in uh, in its own voice as well. Great. Any others that you uh, want to point out that you were influenced by or impressed by or or did any whisper in your ear while you were doing this? Like, hey, how about this or that? Well, I do want to share with you uh, the certainly the least savory. You'll notice I haven't shared the art on this one. Um, the Kaganer. You may be familiar with the Kaganer. Uh, so the Kaganer, the Kaganer is the Christmas pooper of Catalan. Uh, and I like... <laughs> I'm not a poop humor gal. Like it's not my thing. It's not, you know, uh, but it is, it is a whole cultural tradition. And I was like, I am, I am duty bound. Uh, you know, comedy dictates it. And also honesty dictates that this guy be included. So in the Catalan region, uh, in all nativity scenes, if you look, you will see somewhere in the scene in the back, there is a guy traditionally, he was dressed as a shepherd, you know, traditional dress with his pants down, pooping. Uh, and because it is such a cultural tradition in that region, every celebrity you've ever thought of has had one of these made of them. You know, <laughs> is it a president? Is it the queen? Is it the new king? Is it your favorite pop star? There is a Kagner of all of them because they sell so many in that region. And I was like, I, I'm, it's literally a whole region of Spain. I have to include this guy. So the Christmas pooper is in the deck. Um, and when that card comes up, I'm, it just literally means that, you know, sometimes shit gets shit done. Sometimes things are just going to shit. Sometimes you have to think about the compost principle and say, this doesn't feel or look good what's happening for me right now, but it's probably part of the overall cycle of, <laughs> of change and transformation into something better. So he sort of is there to represent, uh, and the theories, folklorists, of course, conjecture that he might 
like why in the world have these very religious people had this you know sort of clowning figure you know right in the heart of their uh, you know of their sacred scenes and the notion is that it probably comes out of a deep and archetypal yearning towards something that speaks essentially to recycling like that things come around uh, so it was it was very like I blush even uh, even thinking about trying to draw it but yes there's a Christmas Kaganer in there as well that's great. It's interesting because I was in Austria some years ago. And there was a statue of this guy pooping. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, so it was, uh, I think he was pooping coins or something. Oh, yes, right. Yeah. But, uh, but still, it was kind of like, okay, this is just really interesting. Uh, Geldscheiser, I think they're called. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like, yeah. I think yeah. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen him, but yeah. it's it really interesting. Yeah. And again, it's like, there's, you know, it's not one capricious person making a, you know, you know, some body humor joke. It is a whole cultural tradition. And, mm -hmm. you know, if we remove our sort of le level of perhaps personal cringe around that sort of thing, you go, but why, why is this here? What is the deep psychological need that these characters inhabit that they didn't just pop up in someone's personal, you know, decorations and then disappear in a generation, but became something that like an, an entire people have have come to recognize uh, and to a certain extent welcome. Well, there's got to be a reason. That is literally what folklore is, uh, is to dig in there and try to understand what the need is. So, uh, so yes, that, that fella is in there for that, for that reason. I also included uh, one of my personal favorites, uh, which of course is the Dickensian, the, the most fearsome Dickensian monster, their sort of most modern, which is of course, uh, you know, the ghost of Christmas future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I love that guy because, you know, of course, in the story, you know, of Scrooge's adventures, you know, he has a, he basically says, carpe diem, try to be a decent person now because for tomorrow you die. But isn't that an incredibly useful thing to have in an Oracle deck too? You know, it's the card that says, are you making the decisions you're making out of fear? Are you being risk averse and you're missing something? Because every Christmas may, may be your last Christmas. I mean, these are dark subjects, but they're, it's essentially inhabiting the space that in a tarot deck is occupied by the death card. It's not often about physical death, but it is about the inevitability of cycles and transformation and that that which comes also passes away. So that that specter that comes to us and is so integral. You know, they say Dickens essentially invented modern Christmas for us, right? Like so much of what he put into print the world said, is this the standard that we're doing now? And there's this ghost story right in the middle of it all. And so uh, the, that specter comes to us. And in my art, he's always depicted with a big ball of mistletoe because it's funny to me, not only because mistletoe is a mythic, is a mythic herb that was used, you know, by druids and, you know, it's, it's, it's a medicine, mm -hmm. it's a poison, it's a shamanic tool, uh, but it's also for kissing. And the idea that this, the lipless specter is standing under a ball of mistletoe, hoping for kiss just seems... <laughs> very quaint to, to me somehow yeah yeah that is interesting that's great yeah a, a great aspect of that so you know so cool. cheeky yeah well you know and that that's that that's what i think like why the kaganar is about i mean there is some humor and stuff that we have to face when we're facing life's realities and when we're facing death and war and all that i mean some element of humor and cheekiness helps us get through it yeah doesn't mean we minimalize the seriousness of it right right but we've got to, something has to be that pressure relief or else we might just be too consumed and ineffectual, I would think. That's right. 
That's part of why I wanted this deck to retain, you know, you again, you know, there are images of Krampus both into the traditional folkloric imagery and certain in modern imagery, which can be very heavy metal in vibe, you know, um, like I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I'm for all the expressions. You see Krampus in everything from like terrifying fire breathing, blood covered demon to dapper gentleman in uh, opera dress with cute little horns. You know, it's very Betty page. You see all of that in the traditional imagery, uh, but I wanted to bring all of the art, you know, I, I swerved away from the sort of, I'm going to call it heavy metal vibe for the moment, nothing against the metal, but I'm going to, I tried to bring it into something a little bit more whimsical specifically because in the deep dark of winter, again, let's find some levity. Uh, and even when you're confronted with, with the worst case scenario, things have gone to shit. Uh, you know, you've, you've, you've got the Kagner, you've got the, you know, the ghost of Christmas future. I still wanted there to be an element of whimsy and gallows humor to it that you could be like, Oh, this guy, this card again, instead yeah. of, you know, just falling into a falling into the despair of midwinter. I wanted to be able to make it fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. No. Awesome. Gallows humor. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the art itself. So, um, I, I love it. Thanks. I, I loved it right from the beginning. I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then to realize that it's actually block print art, which um, that's no easy feat, it seems. Now, my question is, I mean, many have, you know, many have looked at the history of prints uh, and and block prints. It was a revolutionary way to communicate images uh, in the printing industry. So, and it was an evolution and it really made it possible to produce and eventually mass produce text, right? Yes. So what a cool way that you're bringing this historical aspect into it, I think. Uh, and a lot of times, uh, you know, some people may not even know how this was created. They might've thought, oh, you just did it with real cool shading and a, sure, and sure. a pen or on, on, a, on an iPad, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, um, couple of questions. Uh, what is the process that you went through for creating the art? And is it on wood blocks or on rubber or pads or whatever? I see some silicone that people are sure. using for block prints nowadays. Uh, great questions. And well, I want to clarify when I made the World Spirit Tarot, those are all block prints, uh, like and they were all eight by 10 inches. So that's why it took so long. I mean, it's an entire museum's worth of art. I used to joke that I could prop my bed up on towers made of Big, big, solid uh, wood blocks for that. For this and for the princess the, and the wood block. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But for these ones, these are actually scratch board, which is uh, my. It is. I have found that scratch board is my new best friend because uh, scratch board is when when you do block printing all your life, uh, it basically builds a certain artistic mindset, right? It is what I what I call a reductive art. Like you've got a surface, you draw on it in reverse. You use a chisel to remove everything that's going to appear to be, uh, you know, white or uncolored, and everything that remains is what creates all of your black lines. If you can picture that, yes. so and of course, and it's you know, like if you ever did a potato print as a kid or a fish print, it's like you know where the where the object remains, where there's still potato, that's where you get the line. So, I, I did do that as a kid, but I used potatoes, not fish. I, I can't imagine doing fish. I grew up on an island. We all we everybody used. Uh, you would get a flounder. <laughs> the one with, with, with the two eyes on one side. And if you roll ink over it, you could make a print and it makes a perfect print with every scale uh, of a flower. Wow, so cool. just a quirky folk art. I grew up in a, a very uh, block print intensive community. Actually, there's a whole. Sounds like it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole artistic movement for folks that are interested. If you look up the Folly Cove designers, it was a group of working class women in a fishing village uh, who 
Uh, and then it expanded to include uh, uh, men as well, largely Finnish uh, immigrants who uh, built this this whole school of art of uh, of textiles. And they made beautiful block print textiles, some of which uh, actually were in the White House for a while. So uh, I grew up playing with their, they were, you know, they were all, uh, they were quite elderly by the time I was a kid, but I grew up playing with their equipment. Cause of course you're talking about giant printing presses, the size of a bed in someone's barn. And as a little kid, we climbed all over those things because we had no idea they were pieces of history. (laughs) Right. So block printing, I grew up with a lot of that, but then I, that's what I did to make my deck and it creates a certain way of seeing the world. Again, this sort of reductive approach where, that's funny, we use reductive in the pejorative, but in this sense, what I mean is that you are, uh, you know, you you remove that which is unnecessary and leave that which what is what is needed to to communicate your message. So that's great. But man, I got to tell you, it took seven years to carve, you know, those 78 cards plus the back. Uh, and I yeah. knew I didn't have didn't have that much time. Uh, and so scratchboard is a similar principle. You have a surface, uh, a, a shiny white surface that is rolled with black ink, matte black ink. And then you use a, sool, a tool similar to a chisel. Uh, there's a variety of different blades and you scrape it off. Wow. The difference between block printing and that, number one, is that, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't give you calluses. It's not quite as like physically, <laughs> you know, exhausting like that. You know, no, no wonder this was the chosen medium of like fishermen, working class people with tough hands. Uh, so scratchboard is a little easier, physically speaking, a little more portable. Uh, you can like, I can pop a whole bunch of it into a messenger bag and I can actually work on things backstage in between shows and so forth. So that's great. Uh, but it is, it, has, it took an adjustment for me because after so many years of doing block printing, block printing the images in reverse. If you can picture when you do scratchboard, you cut out the image. And if you're looking at one of the pictures now, you can see every place where it where it's white. Uh, I have removed and you're looking at the white surface underneath. It is the art rather than being a reverse image of the art, if that makes oh, sense. And yeah. so uh, that has saved me uh, perhaps thousands of hours while building on the particular kind of arts education that I had, if that makes sense. Wow. That's really Scratchboard. Turns out that's your new friend. I have done lots of block printing with, uh, as you, said, you know, as we said, potatoes, fish, uh, some wood, lots of linoleum blocks. And as you were saying, uh, you know, rubber, like the, the, these sort of rubber mats, which are great for doing things in a hurry, but don't give you very fine detail. And of course the mm-hmm. blocks, a wood block will last as long as the block lasts. The rubber ones, I'm afraid they, they do break down over time. So, uh, it's hard to make anything where the actual block itself will have archival survival. And uh, the scratchboard blocks, I, I expect that they will endure as long as I don't bang them around too much. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. I, I hadn't heard about scratchboards. Uh, it totally makes sense. And it's a great yeah. evolution of the technique uh, as it comes through. And and what a, what a, a cool memory that you have of, of being able to be with these elders <laughs> Uh, of this technique and to absorb and learn things from them and just be in their presence. And as little kids, you just took it for granted. They were just old people, you know, you didn't think anything about it. Right. Um, like people with, you know, block printed curtains and aprons and things. And it just, just seemed like old people stuff when you're seven, you know, now as I'm closer to their age (laughs) than I was (laughs) the age of myself in memory. And of course, and I'm like, I can't believe they did all that. And, you know, had, full-time jobs and giant Finnish families and worked on boats and 
Like, how did they find the time to have this magnificent, evolved artistic sensibility on top of all of their other responsibilities? I appreciate it completely anew from the age that I'm at. And I, I encourage your listeners to look them up because their art and their history, you know, is really, really, really amazing. <laughs> yeah, that does sound like it too. So that's really cool. Well, um, question then about oh, yeah. the comparison with the World Spirit Tarot and this. What led you to, to not color add color to these uh, like you did with the World Spirit Tarot? Ah, that's a great question. Uh, there are a few components. One, of course, is that uh, coloring the art is a whole, it's a whole other, it's like doing the art all over again, essentially. <laughs> uh, you know, there is, there's the time component, but also in this case, um, having switched to the scratch board, like if you, if you were to compare a, a, a block from the World Spirit Tarot, which is large areas of open space that color has been introduced to like there's texture there's wood grain there's water there's grass but it is characterized by um very clear binary between the the black and the white there mm -hmm. where there is block and where it has been carved and that gives it a particular uh openness working with the scratch board feels and looks a lot more medieval as it were it's like it's less about taking out huge areas and more about creating as you were saying earlier like a sense of it's almost like there's a sense of shading or etching uh and i have found with there being uh, so much more emphasis on the texture in the scratch board images and that style with more of that medieval flair that adding color actually just makes them look kind of dull mm -hmm. like it it, uh, it made the images more subdued and they really pop more vividly in that black and white. And I was like, well, you know, we are talking again about if you think about, you know, the deep of midwinter and it's all about the balance of light and dark and other days getting shorter, other days getting longer where you are and so forth. And leaning into the, the black and white just seemed to really fit the mood and the narrative better. So we're, we're going with more of a medieval feel and more of a midwinter vibe. I love it. No, I, I totally love it. And I mean, I love that you, I can totally see how you said the colors would not make it as vibrant as it does just in the black and white. Right. It's like if it was a stained glass window where it was being illuminated from the back with light passing through the color, I could see that they could work, but I think that they would just otherwise, you know, in a, in a, in a 2d world, I think they just would become more subdued. And we really want to hear what these monsters have to say loud and clear. Exactly. And then um, what better color than red to uh, add as borders, right? <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I, I was hoping that it was, uh, would be, you know, all those sort of vivacity of Holly and not too sanguine. No, no. It, I think it, to me, when I look at the cards, it just really cuts from the outer world and then springs you into the card. Great. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm going for. I would like to give a shout out to uh, Stephen Warwick, the artist who uh, does a lot of my, like he designed the box and that kind of thing. Uh, he, he did the layout of the cards. Like I made the art, but he's the one who, you know, is able to transform my art into a product, right? The thing that actually gets printed. Uh, and he's worked with me on, he's worked with me on festival projects. Uh, you know, I used to tour the country as a, uh, um, internationally touring belly dancer. Like he's helped me with production on so many steps of my journey as an artist. And, uh, you know, when I said like, if you ever see the advent calendar, it's two, eight and a half, uh, by 11 pages of cardstock. And that when you open it up, it actually looks like a Bavarian cuckoo clock. It's all wood grain. And then you open all the little doors and the cryptids are in there. And when I said, I want it to look like a Bavarian cuckoo clock. And he was able to understand what that 
meant and helped me make the jump from this is how I want to present this art, you know, because it's, of course, the the person who does the graphics, if it's not you, is an unsung part of the team. So I'm grateful that uh, he has been able to help me take the art and turn it into uh, a tool that is something that other people can use. Yeah. I don't know if on your, if your deck, if you actually did all of that part yourself as well, but uh, if so, I kudos to you because I'm, I'm glad to be able to call in a graphics layout expert. Well, no, I had a, I had a, an artist uh, do my deck. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so I worked with a really a talented, amazing artist and they, uh, they gave me all the, the artwork and the, the second edition that I did, the, I worked with um, Bella Seol, who's created other art decks as well. And she connected me to her folks who are able to help do that layout and get that stuff going. So yeah, def- definitely uh, working with other people who are extremely talented and wonderful are fantastic. And yeah, it takes a team for sure. Yeah. And I, I know for me, for example, I just submitted. So for anyone listening, we're over 200% funded, which is great because it means that not only are the, you know, books, uh, the, you know, the booklet, the deck, the box, all of those things are in process, but I was able to get beautiful silver foil edges. It's going to have a real, in my head, I hear silver and gold, silver <laughs> yeah. and gold, like real silver bells vibes. Uh, so it's, you know, it makes it again, a little bit more, um, feels festive as well as, you know, sort of dark and whimsical. Uh, but I just put the order in for the printing to be done today. Yay. I know because my goal is to get, thank you. I want to get them in people's hands in time for Krampus knocked, you know, which is the first weekend of December. So my hope is that they will, at the very least, I want them in people's hands by solstice, you know, so they can stuff them in the stocking as it were, but I'm hoping they get here sooner so I can fill everybody's orders, uh, you know, ASAP. And uh, yeah, it's just a, it's, it's exciting to be at that part, but it's taken me two weeks of back and forth of saying, you know, you don't just send it off and say, okay, great. You can visualize what I need printer. You know, it's mm-hmm. a whole series of back and forths and proofs oh, and so forth. And yeah. anyone doing this, I encourage you to set yourself, uh, you know, a month's buffer time <laughs> for, <laughs> just to navigate production issues and holidays. <laughs> yeah. And make, make sure that you know what holidays the printer observes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, even today I want to be like, hey, I've got questions. Oh, right. Well, you know, anyone you're working with in the States, it's a holiday. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you're working with someone in another country, it could be a holiday there too for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for uh, sure. So, yeah. Well, great. Anything else you want to talk about the deck itself before we begin winding down? Uh, well, I want to mention um, that. For folks that do want to jump in on the Kickstarter, there's uh, just a few more weeks. If, you, if you're hearing this later, it's fine. You can find more information about it and you can pick it up in my Etsy store, which is Madame Ansa Studios. Uh, but if you want to jump in on it in the next couple of weeks, uh, in addition to the deck, there's a series of rewards. You know how these things are structured because we took some of the artwork and made beautiful uh, bundles of gift cards like, you know, Mary Yule from the Yule Bach, you know, all that kind of thing. So we've got beautiful holiday cards. I've already got them all tied up in bundles with ribbons. We've got packages that are the deck, uh, the cards, my very first Krampus project, which I mentioned before, which is the Krampus Create Your Own Adventure Coloring Book, uh, which is my my first step into the world of making things for people to enjoy for Krampus. Uh, And uh, 
and also the advent calendar for folks that want to see that it is designed artistically very much to be compatible with uh with the the oracle deck and the cards so if you wanted to give somebody like the full Krampus starter pack everything holds together very cohesively for the person that just really wants to dive in so you know our rewards are sort of set up to be you know <laughs> come with throw a coin to your whipper and then work your way up Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The package for every budget. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, there's plenty to be found there on the Kickstarter. Uh, and otherwise, like I said, you can always find me later on the internet. I am, I, I was just said the other, the other day to someone as an event producer and performer myself uh, for my day job, I like to say Krampus is my side hustle <laughs> <laughs> and what a hustle it is this time of year. Yeah, no kidding. And it, and it just keeps winding up before we know it will be like at new year saying, what the heck, where did all that go? Right. I did a lot of shipping. I usually make a really a pretty lovely Krampus pint and shot glasses. And there's a seat that I ship out and there's a season in which the entire living room is just packed to the ceiling with uh, egg cartons because I found that egg cartons are the best way to ship a pint glass. You like wrap it in egg cartons and sand it off and it will arrive intact. My whole family has learned to just step aside for one month a year because it's (laughs) nothing but wrapping up, you know, Krampus goodies to ship off, you know, to try to get them to people in time. And that's another thing that's on your website, which I will have in the notes, is you have pint glasses and shot glasses. Thank you. And I will say, I've made a lot of Krampus pint and shot glasses over the years. And this particular batch, the frosted ones, far and away my favorite. I, I hope other people like them. Believe me, I have a lot of I have a lot of pint and shot glasses in my house because when you make them, yeah. that's what happens. Uh, and these are, my, these are the ones that I would go out of the way to buy myself if I hadn't already made them because I just... I really love them. And they were a foray, actually, as a side note, into uh, when you do all this block printing and you have this particular, again, this sort of reductive way of approaching art, removing that which is gratuitous in order to leave visible that which is true to your creative vision. Uh, in the last two years, I've started doing a lot of cut paper. Oh, wow. uh, you know, essentially making fancy snowflakes. Yeah. If you want to picture that, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like same thing we did as kids, except for now they're really complicated and they're, they're scenes and it's Baba Yaga's whole chicken house. You know, oh, she's right. in the house with the chicken legs, with a, with a broom and a skull, uh, you know, all of the sort of very folky cut paper art. And uh, that has opened up a, it's a sort of a meditative practice for me. And my house is hence is filled with snowflakes <laughs> And it was the snowflakes that led me to the design that you, if you should you go and uh, and see my Krampus pint shot glasses, those are actually cut paper. Oh art wow, that's well. cool. So that was a that's just a whole um, whole new no, whole new field of interest for me as a person who likes to likes to approach art in that way. So yeah, well, thank you. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate your good and insightful questions, and I I hope that I, I hope that I sounded like I knew what I was talking about because it's. You've been helping me understand some of my own choices as I went as a result of this discussion. I think it, I think it was great. I'm really thrilled to have you on, and I can't wait to get the deck myself. And I will have um, links to your studio, your studio on Etsy, as well as to the Kickstarter, while people can still do it again until October 22nd, 2023. You can back it there, but you can also pre-order it on the Etsy shop or order it once the um, Kickstarter is over and the decks are in the house, so to say. Yeah. And uh, yeah, um, right from the Etsy shop would be great. And of course, you would love to see how people are um, experiencing the deck once they get it in their hands, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And you can find me social media wise. Uh, you can find me a little bit on Insta, mostly on Facebook. I'm of a certain generation where that's about as much uh, social media as I do, but, I, but I'm there a lot. 
you know, posting for shows and so forth. So I would love, uh, and of course, of course, email. Uh, and I have a website as well, theworldspiritrow.com, theworldspiritrow.com. So any which way that people would like to reach out to me and tell me how you are experiencing the goodies when you get them, I would love to know. Uh, if we go into another printing, if there's a way that I can make it even more what you need, I'd love to hear from you. Super. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please have a look at the show notes for links and, well, notes. Podcast is available from Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and other podcast catchers. Feedback and reviews are greatly appreciated. Please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, at @weirdgifts1 and on Facebook at, at Gifts of the Weird. And email me at giftsoftheweird.com. Thanks and have a great day.